Uh, welcome to week three of our XOXO series, uh, a time where we're focused on, man, you're not in the fifth grade. <laughs> trying, to give, trying to give Marquise a hard time as he's walking out, but he's not having it. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, uh, we're, we're looking at uh, this series where we're focusing on relationships. Um, and as a, as a son, as a, as a husband, as, as a brother, as a coworker, as a friend, uh, have some experience in relationships, and so do you. But the reality is we're not experts when it comes to relationships, aren't we? Uh, we have a lot of experience, but that does not necessarily make us an expert. We know that relationships are not easy. Uh, they take a lot of work, and yet it's something we all desire. It's something we all need in our life. Uh, we've been using uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 as the foundation on which we're building uh, this series. It, it, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's trying to encourage them that they have been set apart, that they are to be united together, that they're to live as Christ, and, and they're to, to come to know him, and that all people, Jews and Gentiles, were all alike, that we are to walk in our life imitating Christ and walking in the light of his truth. And in verse 21 of chapter 5, Paul uses these words where he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it's what we've been called to do. Paul's addressing all relationships. Uh, it doesn't matter if, if you're male, female, married, single. It's not gender specific or relationship specific. He's imploring us to walk in relationship with one another in the same way we respect and worship God and to interact with people in a way that is consistent with our worship uh, to the Lord. Uh, prior to this series, we examined uh, some spiritual disciplines in which we are to engage in, in some things. We talked about Bible study and worship and prayer and giving, uh, the foundation on which we can build and grow a relationship with the Lord. And as uh, we grow on that foundation of the Lord, we grow in our relationships with each other. And it's all based around this verse submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We kicked off the series a couple weeks ago looking at that complicated relationship between a man and a woman, and we looked at what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 19, where he gave us how we are to consider each other in our marriage relationship, that in order for our marriage relationship to be healthy and to grow, that we need to leave our selfish desires behind, to unite with our spouse, both in one, become one both in body and soul, and in order to make that work, it takes work, which is why he used a work word there. We are yoked together. We are joined together. And as we strive to grow closer to one another, we draw closer to the Lord as well. Last week, we looked at the idea of what hinders uh, growth in our relationships. And we looked at two things. We looked at familiarity, and we looked at exhaustion, right? And what was really funny is when I brought up point two and said exhaust, exhaustion, everyone in the crowd was too tired to even respond. They were just like... Yeah, right? You just kind of took that in, and it was just really interesting uh, how that all works together. But when those two things become the prevalent things in our life, we stop pursuing other people in a relationship, especially in a marriage relationship. And because of that, we tend to get farther away. I also talked last week about the idea of wives submitting to their husbands as to the Lord, and as husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. And I suggested, and I still suggest, that if a husband is loving his wife, the way Christ loves the church, then the wife is going to want to submit to her husband as to the Lord. And if the wife is willing to submit to the husband as to the Lord, then the husband's going to be compelled to love his wife as Christ loves the church. I just think they go hand in hand. And it's a beautiful illustration of how the relationship is to work and how we can honor God in that. 
I also use this illustration of the triangle in our relationship, where God is at the top of the relationship. Uh, You are on one side and the other person is on the other side. With the concept is as you grow closer to God and the other person grows closer to God, you actually become closer to each other. And all of that is built on the foundation of the relationship with Christ and our spiritual disciplines. As we grow toward God, we grow toward each other. And it's just a a basic principle that, that we can apply to our life. So today, having kind of said all of those things, and you know, now you don't have to listen to the last two weeks' messages. You got them right there. But today, I, I want to take a few moments to talk about how do we handle conflict in our relationships. And while it may seem like I'm talking about just the marriage relationship, man, this applies to all of our relationships. Because the reality is, whether you're single or married or young or old or man or woman, we all experience conflict in our relationships, right? And if you don't experience conflict in your relationship, then one of you is just not being honest, Right? Um, my dad always said, if two of you are just alike, then one of you is unnecessary. Right? So you're going to have differences of opinion. You're going to have things that are different. And with differences come conflict. And how you handle those conflicts often determine how long that relationship is going to last. So today, I want to do something that we did in the first week of the series. I want you to, uh, to practice your, your no and yes, right? I'm going to ask you a, a couple of questions so if you think the answer to the question is no, right, give me the X or the big X or however you want to do it. If you think the answer to the question is yes, then give me the O or the big O, right? You ready? Got it? <laughs> Wake up. Come on. Here we go. <laughs> Hang with me here. All right. Now we're ready. I've got it. See, a few of you got it. I got the big yes, and a couple of you are like, no. I'm not going to do it. Okay, anyway, here we go. First question. Should you let your significant other know how long it really takes them to get ready to go somewhere? Come on, you got to vote. Yes, yes, no. All right. Okay. All right, interesting. There you go. Should you tell a friend when they are annoying you? (laughs) No. Got several no's, several yeses. Okay. All right. Uh, How about this one? Is it okay to ever go to bed angry? Hold those up there for a minute. Wait, hold them up. Those of you who aren't voting, come on, vote. Make a decision. Here we go. I, wanna, I really want to see this. Here we go. Uh, okay, split pretty much. Okay, very good. The last question, is this dress white and gold? <laughs> okay. I, how many people see blue and black right now? See blue and black. One person is only going to, okay. Here's. Oh, my goodness. Okay, say, this proves my point. Remember when this blew up the Internet? Remember when it just stopped, the whole thing just stopped? People, differences of opinion, this was on every news show, every talk show, every sports channel. They were talking about this, right? People had very strong opinions as to what color this dress is. And how can it be one color and people see two different things? How can you put two people with opposite opinions looking at the exact same thing, both of them are convinced they are exactly right, that the other person is wrong, and yet they continue to disagree over a simple picture, right? And if we can argue over the color of that dress, what else can we argue about, right? We can argue, we can find conflict in all things, can't we? Because the reality is, it happens in our relationships, right? We find things to argue about. We find things to have conflict in. There's two different points of view. Each one is convinced that they are right, and they're not willing to yield to the other person. So what happens? What do we do in that situation? How do we find peace? Here's what I want to suggest to you this morning. I would suggest that since conflict is going to be a part of your relationships, but conflict is not the issue, 
how we resolve the conflict is the issue. Okay? That's kind of the premise. How do we resolve these conflicts in our relationships? There, there are many things that causes the conflict in the relationship. Often we find that conflict is the result of unmet expectations. We did a series a few years ago where we talked about some of those expectations, and we determined that if we were simply able to remove all the expectations that we had for another person, if we were able to do that, then we wouldn't have as much conflict, right? But the reality is we do have expectations put on other people, and because of that, we have conflict. And so how do we handle the conflict in that relationship? I'm going to suggest four things that, that we can do or think on and some things that, to consider to help us work through the conflict that we experience in our relationship. And I invite you to write these down if you want to or, or not. It's up to you. I'm not going to argue with you about it. Okay? First one is this. We need to acknowledge our pride. We need to acknowledge our pride. We tend to be self-centered. It's something that we talked about throughout this series. We have our own wants and our own needs and our own desires. And when we are self-centered and we focus on those things uh, and and expectations are not met, uh, it's then that we have conflict. And we see this time and time again how pride distorts our reality. I'm not really a counselor. I I try to help individuals and couples and even families uh, when they're going through a rough time, but I'm not really a a counselor. I don't have a lot of those tools in my toolbox. But one thing I can do is I can listen relatively well. My wife may disagree with that sometimes. But often, uh, especially when a couple is in conflict, what I have found is that the person speaking really strongly desires to be heard. They simply want to be heard and understood. They want the other person to acknowledge what they are saying. And oftentimes, they also desire to be right. They desire for the other person to acknowledge, yes, I've heard you. Yes, I understand what you're saying. And you know what? You are right so that we can move forward in this together. And it's interesting to me that it seems, at least initially, the desire is not necessarily the health of the relationship or where things are going to go beyond this. It's about being right. It's about winning, right? I just want to be right. I heard a pastor say, if you are in conflict, you can win the argument or you can win the other person's heart, but you probably won't do both. And as I've often heard, you can win the battle, but you can lose the war. It's why when conflicts arise, we kind of have to determine what is the most important thing. What, What are we going to settle on? If I were a fly on the wall of your home and you were in the midst of a conflict, whether it be with your spouse or a roommate or a friend or your child, I would guess that within a minute or two, I would be able to tell you what is most important to you, winning the argument or winning their heart. And it's not that I am so smart or just have this amazing gift of discernment. It's just that it's pretty obvious to a non-involved third party what's most important. I've also found it amazing how when I repeat back to an individual the things that they just said, and oftentimes when I'll try to say it in the same tone in which they were saying it, they really don't like the words that were coming out of their own mouth, right? You could record yourself sometime during an argument and then listen back to it. That might be very revealing. I've got several people through the audience going, nope, not doing that, right? Why do we do those things when we're in conflict? What happens there? James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Why do we fight? Well, because of the pride within us. A little later in verse 6, James says, God opposes the proud but gives favor or shows grace to the humble. Why does God oppose the proud? Well, because the proud resist God, 
In their understanding, they resist the truths of God. In their will, they resist the laws of God. In their passions, they resist the providence of God. Why does God give grace to the humble? Why does he show favor to the humble? Well, I think in part because they see their need for it. A humble person will pray for it. They're thankful for it. And because they have that attitude toward receiving from the Lord, they do receive it from the Lord. James continues in verse 7 when he says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God. Submit your understanding to the truth of God. Submit your will to the will of his teaching. Submit because God is ready to do you good, to be with you, to walk with you. If we yield to temptation, the devil will continually follow us. But if we put on the the full armor of God, something that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, then we will be able to stand against the enemy and he will leave us. Verse 8 in that passage says, come near to God and he will come near to you. I like uh, another version that says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. As we submit to God, as we seek his grace and we seek his favor, we are resisting the devil. We, when we draw near to God, uh, we are able to walk more closely in relationship with him. And we draw near to God when we weep over our sin, when we strive to know him, when we discover him, when we experience him, when we walk in relationship with him, when we take up our cross daily and follow him, we're drawing near to God and he is in turn drawing near to us because he is not far from each and every one of us. And drawing near to God, it's difficult, if not impossible, to do when we fail to acknowledge our pride. When we think we have it all figured out is when we really have nothing figured out. And so we need to be humble. And in the midst of conflict, we need to acknowledge our pride and our desire to be right and understand that acknowledging it and and dealing with it is the first step. The second thing that I want to suggest we can do in order to handle our conflict uh, in relationship is to walk away. Simply walk away. Now, uh, I know that may sound contrary to what you might think. A little earlier I asked, is it ever okay to go to bed angry? Would you vote on that again? Just tell me again. Your same answer. It's okay, right? A lot of people say no in that. Some people say yes. Uh, A lot of people say no. I know that I was taught um, growing up in the church and growing up in my family that the answer to that question was no. Never. It's never okay to go to bed angry. And the reason behind it came from what Paul said in Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, right? Really good at throwing scriptures at you when you're facing something. And in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down, ding, 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 on while you're still angry or on your anger. And do not give the devil a foothold. The idea being that if you went to bed angry, then the devil will get a foothold in your life and you're starting down the road to disaster. So figure it out, talk it out. Make sure you do not ever go to bed angry. But there's also an interesting verse in Psalm 4, 4, which says this, in your anger, which a better way that that really should be translated is be angry, which is interesting in and of itself. We could talk about that for a while. But be angry and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Now, I don't want to be guilty of proof texting or using eisegesis to prove a point, but I think it's interesting that one verse says that when you're angry, you're to go to bed and be silent, and another verse says don't let the sun go down on your anger or don't go to bed angry. Uh, Which one of those two is correct? Both of them, right? I I want to say both, because what's the principle here? Don't let anger get the best of you. Isn't that the principle here? Isn't that what you're really trying to say? Don't let anger be the thing that drives you. Uh, We need to to not give the enemy 
Not let the issue, not let the conflict or the problem allow it to have space in our heart and in our life and begin to grow in our heart and in our life and cause division. Here's what I would suggest. For you, maybe in order not to let uh, anger get the best of you, you need to stay up and you need to resolve it because that's what works best for you. You need to talk it out. You need resolution because life is not going to be okay for you if you don't have it worked out. And if that's the case, then you stay up late and you get after it. But maybe for you, what you really need to do is be silent and you need to walk away for a while so that anger does not get the best of you. And if that's what's best for you, then I just want to tell you to zip it, Skippy, and walk away and, and deal with your anger first. Because here's the key if you choose to walk away, and I really want you to hear me on this. If you choose to walk away, you do so with the commitment to come back. Because the other person needs to understand that you are committed to the relationship and you're walking away from the situation and the anger, but you're not walking away from the other person. And those lines of communication need to be clearly established before the conflict begins. Because you're not leaving the person, you're leaving an angry situation. There's a difference between resolving the situation or the issue and resolving your anger. And sometimes there is danger in, and a lot of destruction and a lot of hurt and pain when we try to resolve both of those things at the same time. It's why I encourage parents when they're in conflict with their children and spouses when they're in conflict with each other, friends when they're in conflict uh, with the other friends to respond to the other person and not react to the other person. What do I mean by that? Well, when we react, oftentimes we feed the emotion of the situation. It, often the conflict, uh, the emotion that comes out in conflict is often anger or hurt or frustration. And when we are focused on those negative emotions, we react to the other person. And when we react to the other person, we usually don't react well, do we? We escalate the situation and it gets worse and worse and worse. But a great thing to do is to respond to respond instead of react. And to do that, oftentimes you have to first resolve your anger, and then you can resolve the issue. So maybe for you, what you need to do is walk away. Acknowledge your pride and walk away with a commitment to come back. Third, third thing I want to suggest is we need to value kindness. How many of you in the room here today are native New Jerseyan, New Yorkers, this area-ish? Raise them up, be proud. See, there you go. One thing, being a transplant from the Midwest that I have found is that people here on the uh, East Coast tend to be fairly blunt in their conversation, right? Right? There you go. And at times, I have to tell you, that's just so very refreshing. But here's the truth, and, and here's something that I would consider, I would encourage you to consider. You don't always have to say everything you think, Okay? I just want to encourage you with that, because you don't. You, you don't always have to. Now, I know the pushback is that we need to be brutally honest with each other, and that, um, that, that honesty is a virtue we need, that, that needs to be important. And I, I agree that we need to be honest, and honesty is essential. But maybe we could do with a little less brutality in our brutal honesty with each other. In a healthy relationship, there needs to be a balance of truth and kindness, Paul said in Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. He also said in Colossians chapter 4.6, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. But here's what I've seen happen, and I hear stories about this happening often. Uh, too often in, in this guise of being honest, we do the opposite. 
one person or the other will spend the conversation going off on the other person, speaking truth as we share all the things that bother us and frustrate us and all the things that the other person did wrong. And then to conclude the little tirade, they use this get-out-of-jail-free card with a statement, something along the lines of, but you know I love you, right? As if that one comment makes everything you just said okay. But how much better would it be for your relationships if you were able to share your hurts and your struggles and your disappointments with a sense of grace and kindness? Because often it's not really what you're saying, but how you say it that matters. I know this is something that I am struggling with. In my conversations with people, I, I am not truly always aware of how I am saying what I am saying. It's something I'm working on, and I'm striving to use the power of words to build up and not tear down, to be beneficial and not detrimental, because we've been called to speak the truth in love. And to do that, we have to value kindness. We have to be able to be honest and kind at the same time. The last thing I want to suggest that we need to do in order to handle conflict that we experience in a relationship is believe the best. Often early in a relationship, it's easy to see and it's easy to think and it's easy to believe that the other person has your best interest in mind, isn't it? But over time, what happens? Well, with the everyday stresses of life, they cause us to really doubt that the other person in the relationship really wants what's best for you. It's, it's like what we talked about last week. We allow familiarity to convince us that we already know what the other person is thinking. We already know how the other person is going to respond. We already know what the other person uh, wants. The other person should already know what I really mean. They should know how I already feel. And we begin to go down this path and we begin to make up these pretty amazing scenarios. And, And I've heard stories after story after story about this. And often in those scenarios, we're just not believing the best about the other person. And yet I would suggest that believing the best, believing that the other person is acting with good intentions is the type of attitude we need to have in our relationships. And the closer those relationships, the more we need to have that attitude. But that's not always easy, is it? There was a study done that involved couples who labeled themselves as struggling and in need of help. And they were asked a series of questions. And one of those questions was this, do you deeply care about the other person in your relationship? And 97% of the people said, yes, I deeply care about the other person in the relationship. And that might be exactly what you would expect. But here's what was interesting to me. The same study, they asked these same people, do you believe that the other person cared deeply about them? And the answer was only 40%. Go go back one slide. Yeah, there you go. Only 40% believed that the other person cared deeply about them. There was a study done... uh, titled The Power of Good Intentions by the University of North Carolina. And they took all these different couples and ran them through these different situations, a variety of different situations. And one of these situations involved one of the person uh, in the relationship being shocked with an electrical shock, allegedly by the other person in the relationship. So how would you like to volunteer for that one, right? The people in the study were divided into three different groups, okay? And each group received the same intensity of the shock. The only difference was what they were being told about why they were being shocked. One group, the first group, was told that their partner was shocking them in an attempt to help them win money. And so when you're shocked, and every time you're shocked, your partner's trying to help you win money. All right? Second group of people was told that their partner didn't know that the button they were pushing was causing them to be shocked. 
they were told that their partner was simply told to go into this room and to push that button as much as they wanted. And they didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but just kind of push it, right? So they were receiving their shocks accidentally. The third group, they were told that their partner knew exactly what they were doing every time they hit the button. And they were aware that they were shocking them, and they thought it would be fun to watch the other person squirm. So they were being done maliciously, all right? Now here's the amazing part. While the intensity of the shock for each person in every group was the same, and all people received the same amount of shocks, the first group, the ones who thought their partner was doing it to help them earn money, they reported that they felt considerably less pain than the other two groups who were told they were being shocked accidentally or maliciously. You get it? It points to the fact that when we believe the best, when we think that the other person has good intentions for us, it makes things, even pain and conflict, better. So when it comes to conflict, regardless of the relationship, we really only have two options. We can believe that they have good intentions and act like it, or don't and act like it, right? That's kind of our two choices there. The choice is really up to you. How do you want to proceed in that friendship, in that relationship? Do you want to address the conflict and resolve the conflict? How do you want to approach that? When Michelle and I were newly married, we really didn't know how to handle conflict very well. Um, Michelle grew up in a family that was, I don't know how to gently say it, but they were more expressive in their thoughts, right? More vocal in their thoughts. Um, as to when they were in conflict. Whereas I grew up in a family where the one time I remember seeing my parents argue and disagree, they were face-to-face, nose-to-nose, and they were whispering very intently, right? (laughs) There was no finger involved either. It was just, right? And so we kind of came from some polar opposites when it came to seeing how conflict was resolved. And I can remember the first real conflict Michelle and I ever experienced um, after we were married, uh, I'd come home from the office, and I came into the kitchen, and as soon as I walked in the kitchen, the conflict was on, right? Michelle was expressing herself, right? Sharing what was wrong in the conflict and what I had done and all these different things, and I just quietly took a seat at the kitchen table and let her do her thing, right? And at the end of that little time of her expressing what was going on in, in the situation in the relationship, she said, so, what do you have to say about that? And I very calmly looked at her and said, well, when you're ready to talk about this like an adult, let me know. Yeah, no, 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 no. Don't clap for that. That was the wrong answer, right? That did not dissolve, you know, did not make anything better, right? I'm so very thankful for a couple by the name of Alan and Cindy Coe, who shortly thereafter and I don't know exactly why, God's providence, or maybe they, had a, they were a fly on the wall of our home at that time, but they took us under their wing, and they began uh, meeting with us on a weekly basis. And they started sharing with, with me, uh, Alan shared with me, uh, what it meant to be a husband and a father, and, and what it meant to pursue a career, and how to work in relationships, and just help me mature and, and to try to handle different things in life, including conflict. Um, and I don't always get it right, still, right? We don't always get it right. We don't always argue fair or fight fair or work things through. I don't always acknowledge my pride. I don't always walk away when I'm angry. I, I, I don't always, you know, think that Michelle has my best intentions in mind, right? But, but we're working on it. 
We're trying. We're struggling through because conflict is, is real. And we have to deal with it. We have to know how to handle it. And, and I hope that these things are helpful. And I hope the words of Scripture are encouraging to you in, in these various relationships in your life. But, but hear me on this. This is something that, that I think is really important for us to hear. There, there's sometimes that there's conflicts that, that, try as you may, you just can't resolve them on your own. You just can't. And it doesn't matter if two people are in a committed relationship, if it's parents and children or friends. Sometimes we just need help. We need a third party. We need a friend or a pastor or a counselor or, or a therapist, someone to offer us some assistance and insight into a relationship. And I really want to encourage you with this. I, I want to encourage you that to, to seek assistance with your relationship is not a sign of weakness. Instead, it's a sign of strength to be able to ask for help. It shows that you're humble that you want to resolve the issue and you want the things to be done in truth and in love and that you want the best for your, your relationship and you're willing to step outside of yourself. You recognize that you just don't have the tools in the toolbox to do it by yourself and for yourself. And so you ask someone to help you. You see, we can't go through these relationships on, on our own. It'd be great if we could, but we can't. We just weren't wired that way. We weren't made that way. And so it's essential that we have help along the way. It's why we're a community of believers, and we don't just isolate ourselves. We are involved in small groups to encourage one another and to hold each other accountable. We, we do this life together in relationships because we need each other. And our relationships with each other are so dependent upon our relationship with the Lord. We need his love and his grace and his peace and his presence in our life, and it's all available for us if we simply ask for it. If we come near to God, he will come near to us. We draw near to him, and he draws near to us. We talked about relationships. We talked about, about what that means. And one of the ways that we focus on our relationship with the Lord, which is the foundation of all of our relationships, is we remember and we celebrate what Jesus did for us through communion. Um, the ushers are going to go back and, and prepare to pass the trays here in just a moment. And, and as we think about communion, we have a, a perfect example of of how Christ demonstrated for us his love, his sacrificial love for us on the cross to, to rid of us of our sin and, and to forgive us of our life, to show that we have been redeemed and we can walk in relationship with him. He did that when he instituted the Last Supper, is what we call it, and he, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body. And he took juice and he, he gave it to his disciples and said, take and drink of this. This is my blood poured out for you. And ultimately what he was saying was, this is the relationship. This is how far I'm willing to go to have relationship with you and to walk with you. And each week we stop and we celebrate the fact that we can walk in that relationship with him. And so this morning I, I want to invite you in to encourage you as the trays are passed to take of the bread, to take of the juice, and to reflect upon your relationship with him and to worship him and to be thankful that we can walk in that relationship with him. I'm gonna pray. And then the ushers are going to pass the trays and we invite you to partake this morning. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to focus on our relationships with each other and God, most importantly, to focus on our relationship with you. Father, as we pause right now to celebrate your sacrifice for us so that we could walk in relationship with you, I, I pray that you would help us to clear our hearts and our minds of all the distractions and help us to focus on you and on you alone. Father God, we thank you that you love us. Jesus, thank you for being willing to go to the cross for us. We love you, we thank you. In your son's name we pray.